0: waiting for Facebook to send out the notification. There we go. Frank's watching. Hey, Butch, how are you, brother? Hope you're having a good weekend. Carol, good to see you. Carol missing. All right, we've got three. Last week uh, I was started teaching on thought and uh, just as a reminder, seven times in scripture, Jesus used the phrase, take no thought. And we know seven is the biblical number for perfection, for spiritual maturity and for divine intervention. And most people they really need some divine intervention in their life, uh, particularly with their thoughts, because there's all kinds of thoughts warring against us today and coming out. We talked about that a lot. And I pointed out where the the phrase take no thought actually means don't be anxious. And if you know anybody that suffers from being anxious or anxiety, it's a pretty tough thing. And there are a lot of distractions. So there's a further meaning in this. It says not to be anxious by distractions. And that's usually what causes anxiousness. Good morning, Norma. Uh, Anxiousness or anxiety in our life because there's something that's come into our life that's caused a distraction. And basically it produces fear because uh, anxiety and anxiousness is the product of fear. And so Jesus was instructing the people who would hear him that we need to lean to our source, who is our father, or papa. I like to use the word papa. And uh, get back to that state of being where we're always conscious uh, conscious of this perfect realm that we've been created to live in, and us being perfect, and us lacking nothing. Because again, if we are anxious and we do have anxiety, uh, to me, that is a sense of lack, you know, and basically something has happened, whether it be medically or mentally or whatever that's, uh, or even in any realm of life that's come into our life, that's caused us to take our focus off our source. And so we probably have all experienced that at one time or another. So I left off last week saying a good thought for 2020 would be take no thought don't be anxious for your life because a lot of people are. And basically, I don't think a lot of people are worried about dying, but I think they're worried about their way of life. They're worried about losing their money, their 401k, losing their jobs, not having enough to eat. And that's everything that Jesus said not to take thought about, not to worry about, you know, consider the lilies of the field. They don't toss and twirl and try to be beautiful. They just draw from where they're planted. Then he talked about the birds. They don't worry about their feathers and, and cows and horses and deer when they're born. They don't worry if they have enough covering on them. They're already clothed. And so if God is so concerned about those creatures, then Father God provided for us too. And we really shouldn't be worrying about these things. Yeah. I put a post on Facebook yesterday. I copied off of somebody else's uh, a picture with a, with a cage up in the brain, if you would. And it said wrong thoughts become, well, it says cages are not made of iron, but they're made of thoughts. That's what it says. Cages are not made of iron, but they're made of thoughts. So wrong thoughts literally become a prison for those who allow them to have dominion over their beliefs. And if, if it has dominion over your beliefs, then it controls your actions and it controls your behavior. It controls how you relate to one another. And it even controls how you relate to Papa Father. You know, because if you have thoughts of fear, and you have thoughts that Father's mad at you, and then Father's going to judge you, and you're always trying to please Father, that's not a good relationship. You know, if if I married Donna, and her entire life was she was always trying to please me, you know, then it would have been a tough time. You know, and what we need to hear is Father's already pleased with us. We don't have to worry about that. But not only bad thoughts, but even thoughts of self-good become, can become a cage. You know, where you exalt yourself very highly. I've done this, I've done that, I'm good at this or whatever. And that becomes a cage to us too. So as I'm looking continue on here about thoughts, what I'm doing is I'm looking in some of my old uh, dictionaries, some of my old historical books that I have found that the traditional church never taught us. And I'm finding different names that have meanings to us that can help us. And most of them that I've gone through so far have showed us where they, they really carry the nature, the name of God, if you would, but the nature of, of a son of God or a daughter of God. But this one was a little different. It, this was a king mentioned in Revelation chapter 9 by the name of Abdon, Abaddon, A B B or A B A D D O N. In the Hebrew, it means destroyer, it means destruction. And the Greek word is apollon. I don't know if that's pronounced right, but it's A-P-O-L-L-Y-O-N. And in chapter 9, verse 3 of Revelation, we find that it says, And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them which was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. You know, so, you know, what do we do? We look at that and say, well, what does locusts mean? Of course, one meaning of the book of Revelation, you can go back and look at the Pictures in the Old Testament, and you can see where the locusts were released during the plagues that man allowed, not that God did. But there's a greater meaning to it. We find in verse 11, the scorpions had a king over them whose name was Abaddon, as stated above, or stated what I wrote here. So the locust represents thoughts in man's religious consciousness, thoughts in man's religious consciousness, but with a lack of true understanding that produces a a uh, destructive tendencies in their life. And that's why there seems to be people that always have destructive things going on or they do destructive things because their thoughts are consumed with religiosity and consumed with the carnal things of the world. I was talking to somebody yesterday and it was just amazing to me how, how the people that call themselves Christian or any other religion whatsoever, can be so hateful and do such bad things and treat people so badly. And it's because those religious belief systems they have that they feel like they're better than those people or they look down on people or whatever. So even with these thoughts, there is a desire and there is a willingness, uh, if you would, to follow the thoughts of the divine mind. We say we want to be like God and we we say we want to do this or that or whatever and, and we want to live holy, but yet, there's stuff that's been put into our thoughts or our conscious awareness that when the pressure comes on that comes out instead of the peace and the perfection and the beautiful thoughts that we really have so abaddon is just is a destroying messenger if you would uh, because they wander away from the living word or they never were taught the living word i could say most of my life I was really never taught the living word, I was taught the written word, and for a large part of my ministry, I even taught the written word. I, I do believe that I saw a lot of things with revelation, knowledge and understanding, but really I wasn't really functioning with my spiritual eyes, or I wasn't hearing Father well enough to, to bring me up higher. I was stuck in penal substitution, if you would, or what I call outer court teaching. And so these people even though their thoughts have mixture in them they still have this desire uh, inner desire to 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 function better and be better because they're always praying that God would help them to be better they're always going to to classes to uh deal with problems they have because they really don't want to be in that state of mind if he would These thoughts though are a bottomless pit because if you continue to dwell in these thoughts there's no end to where they can lead a person to and they it never brings a person to the awareness of the divine mind and that's what we want we want to have this full awareness of our hi cory linda we want to have this f- full awareness and stay in contact as jesus did with our divine mind or with our father if you would so the meaning of, of apollyon is a destroyer to destroy fully and to perish or lose or lose what you have You may have it, but you lose it because you can't handle it. So our desire and our mandate is to follow the thoughts of our divine mind. And when I said divine mind, you know I'm talking about Father. And but we do have one mind, and it's the mind of God. So we we want to follow the thoughts of our divine mind that are breathed into our thoughts to where the point that the two are one. That my thoughts are literally Father's thoughts. And I I, I, when you hear the father say something or you see the father say something it's the same thing we would say like jesus said i don't do anything but i don't see my father do and i don't say anything i don't hear my father or see my hear my father say and that's because he stayed in constant constant contact with father uh i was telling kay yesterday pretty soon uh, maybe this week but i'm going to have a zoom meeting i haven't reached out to a lot of them yet And if you're on here and you want to be part of it, I want to have a Zoom meeting with a lot of ministers that have experienced losing their fellowships or losing their venue or whatever because they begin to teach the truth. And I want to discuss some things with them and allow them to talk too. But I also want to talk about how Jesus handled that because that's the best example. It's Jesus came to a world that was nothing but religiosity and had been that way for thousands of years. And he experienced a lot of rejection. And I want to talk about how he was able to overcome that and continue the ministry he was called to. And one of them was staying in contact with Father. You know, so as we fully and fruitfully uh, learn to give all of our thoughts substance, because our thought is substance, to our Papa, we stop magnifying the bad. We stop magnifying what we believe is going to happen. We start magnifying what they say is going to happen to us just like me, you know, I've been through a three and a half, four and a half a year, actually longer than that, of some situations in my body. And many times those doctors say things about me that I reject, you know, they constantly want to tell me I'm depressed and I do not magnify that. You know, I could real easily, like a lot of people say, okay, give me the, the, the antidepressant pill and go down that deep hole and there's no end in that either whatsoever. And so I don't want to magnify what they say about me. I want to magnify the divine mind within me, that's the divine, that's magnifying the Lord because the divine mind is my Lord, it's the Lord over me. And so we stop magnifying bad uh, through believing it to be a power that can propagate itself. And that's what we do quite often is we believe something as a power and we believe it's gonna propagate itself and get bigger and bigger and bigger. So we know a large portion uh, and I called Kay about this last night and I read this in one of my books. Is a large portion of sickness and disease is the result of humanity's resistance to spiritual consciousness, our spiritual awakening. And uh, we, we a lot of the carnal ways, a lot of the divine li- uh, carnal ways... Is, is in direct opposition to the divine life inside of us. So when we hear a truth and we feed on a truth and it comes into us, sometimes it can be met with resistance. And I've talked to you about that before where the wailing and gnashing of teeth and the, the uh, thunderings and the lightnings and the beheadings and the fire and all that, that's an experience that we go through sometimes when we hear truth. Well, sometimes it can present itself to a point where we feel like we're sick. We feel like there's, we even experience pain in our body. And then if you end up going to a doctor, then a doctor is going to give a name to it. But in reality, it could be something, it it could be just part of our, uh, our, our conscious awareness that's still filled with a lot of religious thought and it resists the truth that comes in. And so what we have to do is we have to resist that by the living word and by the truth. And we speak the truth over ourselves and over our body. I have god's health inside of me and god is my health father is my health and i have to speak that a lot so again if allowed the truth in our divine mind will eventually find its way through our entire body and it's when i'm talking about the truth the word of god its vibration or its energy interpenetrates the centers of our organs and our systems and again often resistance and pain can come forth And you can experience something several months ago i talked about this how when you begin to experience spirit you've never experienced it before and you begin to experience your spirit your holy breath you begin to experience the energy of spirit and the life of spirit again it's unusual and it feels different and people begin to feel different things and sometimes they mistake that for maybe been sick or whatever and so if we only knew what happened that it was the breath of God in us, there was something really taking place in us, then we we can affirm the power of God that's at work in us to change us, to drive all that out of us. And that's what I want to do. That's what I want to practice at that. And when I, I've said this before, sometimes when you experience, you wake up in the morning and you don't feel good, uh, sometimes it may not be that you're not feeling good. Maybe you're having a burden for somebody. Remember how I used to talk about that, Donna? Or maybe you feel like you're hungry and you go into the refrigerator and nothing satisfies you. And maybe your body might be telling you that you're hungry for fellowship with Father, for a time of study, a time of feeding. All kinds of things that we can really see. Is this really something? Am I really sick or am I, am I having a burden for somebody? And the list can go on and on there. And we need to understand that. And we need to affirm that the very presence of God is alive and working inside of us. So we could say it this way. The Apostle Paul said, Therefore, if any person stay in contact with our source, Papa, he experiences his eternal and original formation. In other words, you experience who you really are. All things that hinder to him or her have passed away. So stop, look, and listen, for he will experience his eternal freshness of life. And uh, that was in... Uh, one of my translations and I forgot to write the, the verse now, but I'll put it in the book. And then another one John, the revelator saw this in the spirit. He said, and I saw mankind, which is the abode of God in their original state and the earth in its original estate and the old way of living and the old thoughts passed away and there was no more confusion. And, uh, to me, that's pretty powerful. Uh, there 's a physical life, and there's a, uh, there's a physical world, and we see them all as manifest but as Kay has said, and I wrote in with her and our spiritual resources the, they 're all spirits slowed down to visibility, but has been severely affected by mankind taking that and not tending it and not mastering over the earth and and mastering over its inhabitants. So physical regeneration <clears throat> is its law. Everything that father created regenerates. If uh, if got, uh, you take corn and you plant that corn, then it's going to regenerate seed to reproduce itself. And everything that we do does that, including man, we are supposed to regenerate this whole body. We're supposed to replete the seed of God that's put inside of us. And that's something that man has failed to do. So in the book of Exodus, the natural world is called Egypt, and it's actually the world. When Jesus said, you're of the world that's pictured by Egypt, and Jesus spoke of it this way, and he said, if you are into this world, you're going to experience tribulation, which means trials. It's not trials from God, it's trials from your faith, because you you believe one way, but you're into the world for your source, and then it's always going to fail you, so you're going to experience a, a test, if you would, or trials for your faith and so the true world's foundation is spirit the true world's foundation is not carnality the true world's foundation is not foundation is what man comes up with but it's spirit so this would be the heaven that jesus spoke of when he talked about heaven it's 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 a it's a a state of being or a state of living and so jesus spoke of and he said the house made without hands uh it's an eternal house it would be the cool of the day if you would it would be it would be us it would be us as the abode of god and he refers to that by the apostle paul that talks about that quite often and these are both referring to man's soul man's body living uh, uh, being living manifestations of that which is spirit so during our regeneration process there is a breaking up and there is a passing away if you would of this world and that's what we want to take place this this the, the control of this world or this earth, earthen uh, mentality is breaking up and it will pass away and it takes time. Some people say, well, I want it and I want it right now. Kind of like me, I want, I want patience and I want it right now. Well, it takes time. And so what has to happen, there has to be this free flowing of spiritual life or the holy breath of our father or our holy breath. And so that's something that we had to let happen. That's something we we had to allow to happen. And we need to want that. You know, if you don't want it, you're not going to get it. So if our conscious awareness is set on higher things, then our real thoughts and our real understandings will produce enduring life. And it becomes a constant experience. And that constant experience strengthens the whole man. You know, we don't want to be up one day and down the other, you know, the realm of opposites. Rich one day, poor, sick, well, back and forth. You know, I want a day. I want when when I want all my days to be filled with, with the goodness of God and feeling good and enjoying good and enjoying life. You know, there are there have been some days that I'm very sick in body, and then there's some days I feel really well. Well, that's the place I need to stay in, and I that what we need to have, and I'm talking to myself too, is this expectation that every day is the day that the Lord has made and every day I'm going to experience the day that the Lord has made and not what my, my uh, thoughts have been filled with if he would. So it's he father wants us to prosper in all knowledge and father wants us to prosper in all understanding. Father wants us to live out of everything that he has made and uh, called his ideal for us. Jesus said, and I, was, I, I always like reading this, but Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You know, we read where it says the true light shines, and we read where it said Jesus was the light. But Jesus really turned around and said, you are the light of the world. And then he said, a city set on a high place cannot be hid. So Jesus used words like rock. He used words like stone often. He said upon this rock of revelation i came to teach and i will build up all who will hear me pretty much what he said when it said the gates of hell will not prevail against my church the word hell is gnosis and it's actually knowledge so the gates of the knowledge of what jesus came to teach will not prevail against us and the gates was religion religion always tried to hold back the knowledge of our father and so he also talked about the builder stone And then he used words like endure. I looked all these up and he used them several times. And he always spoke in in parables. And they were based on much symbolism that concerned man's awareness of truth. So our need is a constant renewing of our thoughts, not our mind. Our mind is fine. We have the divine mind. There's only one mind. But we need a constant renewing of our thoughts. We must pay attention to our thoughts. We must pay attention to the thoughts that others have that they try to project into us, and if they don't line up with the divine mind, don't receive them. And so where our intellect is quickened, literally, by Father speaking into our thoughts, then that transformation takes place where we really live and move and have our being out of a spiritual consciousness, which is living and moving and having our being out of our Father. So these places that Jesus talked about, uh, a rock and high places and things like that. We can see all through scripture when father called people up to a higher awareness, it was always pictured as a mountain. Even Jesus went up into a mountain. Jesus often went away to a higher place to get away from the crowd. And so he could meditate on the father and listen to the father. So these mountains Picture uh, uh, an awareness or an exalted state of mind that Father wants to bring us to, so we can learn basically from every instance where Father called somebody up to mountain. One I talk about a lot is Abraham. Abraham was very confused about Father. Abraham compared Father to the gods that he, he worshipped in the urkaladies, just like Moses did, and Father wanted to instruct Abraham that he did not want sacrifices because. Abraham had always sacrificed to these false gods that he worshiped and so he told him to come up to the mountain to a mountain range And it says he said he he would tell him which mountain to send to and he told him to bring his son up Well immediately Abraham thought oh he wants me to sacrifice my son and of course that in the scripture that was attributed to father but it wasn't it was Moses's false idea that came from worshiping false gods but he brought him up there to let him know, I do not want sacrifice. I don't need sacrifice and to really to reveal the heart and the love of our father. And so it was then we, then we can learn when Jesus went up to mountain, he conversed with the father and literally he brought, uh, he brought John up there. He brought James and he brought Peter. And literally he revealed to them who we all are, not just him, who we all are, he revealed his glory. And you can read the story. He began to shine. His clothing began to shine. And literally, they saw his glorified body. He want, he did that for a purpose because he was wanting to reveal to them who we all are and who they are. But they didn't get it. You know, they wanted to build three temples. And Elijah showed up and Moses showed up. And they wanted to worship all three. And that's when father said, this is my son. I want you to hear him. The reason he said that is because they had already heard Moses and they had already heard Elijah and both of them taught what God said to them with their mixture. And that's that's the reason he said that. So if you've studied very much the journey of the Jews uh, to the Promised Land, there are two mountains that are very familiar. One is Horeb and the other one is Sinai. And most people know that. But Horeb is very interesting. I looked it up uh, yesterday. It means dryness, it means drought, it means heat, <clears throat> it means waste, it means desolation, Hi, Leonard, it means desert, barren, and solitude. And the mountain range is mentioned many times in the Bible. And so there's, there's got to be a reason for it. So it's also called the mountain of God. And that's why I thought it's interesting that it means all these things here, but then it's also in the Hebrew, it is called the mountain of God. And that word God there is Elohim, which is the plural of a noun. And it's God's in the ordinary sense. So the mountains of God's in the ordinary sense. And mountain of God's in the ordinary sense. Ordinary. Ordinary sense. And Horeb is identical with Sinai. So... I would say possibly this is talking about Horeb is a place where men went to for understanding the revelation, and it brought dryness, drought, heat, waste, desolation, desert, bareness, and solitude. Does that make sense? That's most likely to me what that actually pictures to us. And Horeb is, again, identical with Sinai. So Horeb symbolizes a state of, of seeking if you would, higher spiritual awareness in all the wrong places in religiosity in your own efforts apart from the divine mind. And really, I'm just hearing that right now. I'm taking notes because all of a sudden that just really showed up to me there. But it's it's uh, it needs to be, a, a, you know, it, people seek spiritual realization. Just like I said a little while ago, people who are, function out of the wrong thoughts. They're still, they are seeking. I I can't imagine anybody that doesn't, that has any idea of father God, any belief in God at all that wants to be better, wants to really live the life that the Bible teaches that we can live. But again, they seek it in all the wrong places and it produces all kinds of problems. And so if they're not affirming the power and the presence of God in them to give them this information, and then, so they have all this dryness. So divine mind within and the substance and nourishment, it supplies what we need. It supplies all wisdom and all knowledge and understanding. It supplies the knowledge of who we really are. And so that's where our conscious union can take place. And that's where we stay in union with our father. If you would like the Bible, you know, we hear keeping our minds stayed on him. And so solitude as a meaning in Horeb signifies that we have to go into solitude, into our divine mind, not solitude in religiosity in other places. And to me, that solitude that those people went into is like my good friend, uh, uh, Frank Judkins said, I was Baptist bred, Baptist raised, and I'll be Baptist till I die. In other words, that's just kind of a solitude that's staying in this one state. You're not interested in hearing any more truth. I've heard the truth. I believe the truth. Like my aunt told me once, it's good enough for my mom, it's good enough for me. So she's kept herself in solitude and not, not willing to come to people that can really bring her up higher. And so we, what happens is we get led into a group of false thoughts, a group of false ideals, and it brings us back to the wilderness, which is a place of being alone. And we want to get rid of those so we won't have that crowd mentality. A crowd mentality is what the crowd believes. I promise you, uh, I've lived 70 years, and I've been in ministry for a long, long time. And I've been around several different churches, not as many as a lot of people have. But I can tell you, most of the time, the crowd is wrong. They shouldn't be, but they are. If the majority of people believe something in the world, most of the time, they're wrong. Because few there be that are really seeking spiritual truth today. But there are more and more. Definitely, there are more and more. So we want to get to the place where we meet face-to-face with our divine source or Papa. So Horem, H-O-R-E-M, means devoted, consecrated, sacred, set apart, shut off, and removed from common use. Now this is a place where Naphtali was. It was a city uh, of Naphtali, uh, one of those cities that he inherited. And so that's what we want. We want We want to be devoted to our divine mind, devoted to our Father. We want to be consecrated, which means we've seen something, which we are. We want to realize that we are sacred, which sacred means holy. We are set apart for a purpose. Every one of us has a purpose in our life. And then we want to be shut off. I want to be shut off from all that outward experiences, outward information, outward wisdom and knowledge that's done nothing but hindered me because I don't want to be used for common use. I want to be used for spiritual use for a higher use that can help people now naphtali was dedicated to father meaning he was consecrated he was regarded as as sacred he was devoted to spiritual uh, uh, servitude or service if he would so the symbolism of horam h-o-r-e-m and naphtali is this this becomes a fortress what is a fortress it keeps an enemy out it protects you when, you, when there's things that try to come against you, it can't get through that wall. And so it's a stronghold in one's consciousness. We've always hear people talk about, well, people have strongholds. Well, yeah, there are some bad strongholds out there. The mistaken identity is a stronghold. And it's very difficult to go to people today and let them know your only problem is that you have a mistaken identity. I have had people fight me when I try to tell them that they're not sinners. And you're not a sinner saved by grace. You're not an alcoholic. You're not a drug addict. You're not whatever it is. That's not who you are. Those are just symptoms of the fact that you don't know who you are. But there is a stronghold that we want. And that, that is the truth of who Father is. No one can ever come and tell me that I'm a sinner anymore. No one can ever come and tell me that I have to please God. No one can ever come and tell me that Jesus had to die because I was a bad person. That's my stronghold. And my stronghold is truth. And so when one realizes their strength is from our source or Papa and their source is divine, then their conscious awareness grows stronger and stronger and stronger and sure and sure because it's abiding with it, with it, which when I put it, I put capital I-T. It's abiding with Father God. It's abiding with the divine mind. And that becomes an experience and that be- is something that we live out of. And then another mountain, which I say is the greatest mountain of all, is the mountain of of the Lord. And that's us. We're the mountain of the Lord. It's a people. I found last night in Micah 4, 1 through 2. I'll read it to you. But it says, in the last days, and we know what is the last days. That's the day when you finally wake up. That's the day when we finally turn around and yield to the Father and let the Father bring us up higher and higher and higher. And so, but in the last days it shall come to pass... "...that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come, and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and he will walk in his paths, we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem." In other words, the law, the Mosaic law, if you would, will leave. And the word of the Lord, the living world, will come forth. And so an explanation of that would be, we're the temple, right? We're the temple of the source. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God inhabits you? A lot of people don't know that. Would you agree? Yes. They don't. And then 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, and I, I left the first part out of it, but it says, For you are the temple of the living God, and God hath said, I inhabit them, and I exist their God, and they exist my people. And of course, the King James used shall and all that, but it says exist, and all, the first one says, I inhabit them, and the next two imply, I exist. Those two verses right there are verses that we should daily meditate on and and the way it's really written do you not know that you're the temple of god i mean the first time a thought comes to you that is is an ill thought the first thing well no no just a minute i'm the temple of god if i'm the temple of god there can't be sickness and disease in me there can't be anxiety in me any and that's how you resist the devil the traducer and it will flee is by speaking the truth and then you can say because i am the temple of living god and god inhabits me God exists in me and I exist as as God's people. I, I, know, I know we know these things. I know most of you that's been watching this have heard these things over and over and over. But do we really know it? Because the proof's in the pudding. <laughs> you know, what comes back out of our mouth or what we allow the thoughts in our brain. And so we don't say these things to beat us up, but we say these things to remind us we must meditate on these things day and night. And the rest of the time, do what you want. But they must be things that we meditate on and every time we hear something bad on the news or we see something or we hear, oh, they're getting ready to lay people off of the job or whatever, say, wait a minute, I'm the temple of God. That's not my source. I do not have to worry. So the spiritual symbolism of Michael here, of us being the temple of the mountain of our source Papa, is the mountain. mountains are the higher, represent the higher brain centers, if you would, in our being it's the top of the mountain. It's like an archangel. It's the the highest in awareness messenger or the higher brain centers, if you would. It's the spiritual brain or like Kay teaches, the right brain, the right side of the brain being the very height of the spiritual awareness of pure thoughts. And that's what we really want is pure thoughts. Hi, Phyllis. So when people cultivate spiritual thought, then the right side of the brain is exalted above the hills it's very easy to understand this you you have hills you have mountains and you have the top of the mountain and those are understandings those are awarenesses and so exalts above the hills which be would be the thoughts of the left side of the brain and the entire consciousness then will flow to it another world will flow to the in other words it will flow to the divine mind it will flow to our source papa It will stay in constant contact, as Jesus did, with Father. So when the spiritual center uh, is quickened, it sends out, if you would, far-reaching thought energy through our entire being, and we begin to speak as, and we begin to hear the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. And that's what was said of John the Baptist. Something had to happen to John the Baptist. There had to be a quickening inside of him, to the point that he became this voice of one that cried out in the wilderness to make way for Jesus to come and teach the truth. And Jesus was the living word in manifestation. He was the way, he was the truth, he was the life. And that way and truth and life is inside of us. And what we want to do is we want to hear that voice and we want to make the way. In other words, make a way, make an opening so Father can get in and how we do that is we resist all these thoughts that are not true and they're not of who we really are. And so, you know, I'm learning this as I teach this to you guys. I'm, I'm practicing this myself. And uh, it's important that we, we learn as we teach and we continue to because this last night, I told Donna, I said, I thought it was about 10.30 or 11. All of a sudden I looked up and it was one o'clock in the morning and I just got lost in this because it was ministering to me. And strengthen me too. And I hope it's ministering to you. So we are they. Who have ascertained. Sought and desire to know father in us. And we have discovered. That our father. Our source. Our papa is one with us. That that to me. Is the greatest discovery. I think that I can ever say that I've had. In studying everything we've studied over the last 10 years. Is papa is one with me. I'm not separate. I no longer raise my hands up to a father out there. And I'm not saying there's nothing, you can do that if you want to, but father is right here inside of me. And I no longer pray to a father out on a planet somewhere. And I no longer pray and ask father to do anything for me. I thank father for what he's done for me. I thank father that he's awakened the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of the knowledge that Jesus Christ came to teach us. He's awakened that which was already in me. So again, we're not trying to make these things true. They already are true. And we're not trying to get, uh, get something we don't have. We already have all things that pertain to spiritual life and physical life. And we're not looking for something that's far off in a far off place. Or we're not looking to a God set on the throne in a place called heaven. And that's where most people are looking. Most people today can't wait for it. Can't wait for a rapture they're ready to leave and they think everything that's going on in the world today is a sign and i have to tell you of every 4 or 5 6 years there's something that goes on that the church doesn't get up and say the rapture's coming the rapture's coming that should be enough right there to make people question that and think what's what's wrong here what's going on here and so because papa is i exist that's who Father is. Because Father said, tell, tell him, I exist, I exist since you. So because Father is, I exist, then we realize we have been with Papa for eternity. Before the mountains, which is us, was projected into visibility. Even from everlasting to everlasting, we were always with Father. We were always one with Father and in Father. And I remember a pastor telling me once that we were not with God before the foundation of the world. But if I'm of God, and I'm the plural of God, and I have the same mind of God, the same body of God, everything that God imaged into being, then I'm of God. Just like every corn that's ever grown is of the first corn that was ever created and put on this earth, right? Every rabbit that we get in our backyard, they're of the first rabbit that was ever created, that ever came forth. They're of them. And so I've stated before that when I took my course for the Masters of Arts in Theology, I learned there were those who decided who Father was for mankind. And they pretty much said Father could not be touched and said that Father uh, was not a personal Father. In other words, my personal Father, my personal relationship. And I just sat there and shook my head. And I said, "How, how, how sad. And those people are still taught in seminaries, you know, and it's good to know these things, but they shouldn't be taught because there are people that will believe that because that reinforces no penal substitution and that reinforces a belief system that we had that we couldn't touch God. Like I've said many times, I see it today and I can always see myself kneeling down on the pew, facing out in the audience on the left side of Full Gospel Assembly, I see myself kneeling there, i can, I can t- tell you i'd be three spaces over even it's so vivid in my mind pleading with god to touch me if you could just touch me one time you know because i wasn't sure if i had that relationship with father if i was one with father and then you go hear something like this and say oh well i guess that's right he's not my personal father i don't have a relationship with him what a lie what a lie that really enforced the idea that we were wretched. We were wretched people. And that's why people love to sing Amazing Grace. And they'll get upset with you when you say, Don't say a wretch like me. I, I don't ever sing that and say, I saved a wretch like me. I, I say that revealed newness of life to me or anything else but that. So Jesus proved these things wrong because Jesus always called God Abba in the Greek. He never said God, He said Abba. And that's the most intimate term. And it's, all, it's a title of endearment signifying my father. But he literally said Abba. And uh, the, the Apostle Paul used Abba in Romans 8.15 and Galatians 4.16. So I like to use the word Papa because one reason is my grandchildren call me Papa. And it's a very endearing turn. Every, like I've said this last week, I guess. But when any of them say Papa to me, it just makes me feel mushy inside. You know, and they always do. They say, I love you, Papa, or... They'll answer the phone and say, "Hi, Papa," and it feels so good. And that's why I don't like to when I when I talk to Papa, or source. I don't like to say God. I I do sometimes, just because people need to hear it, I guess. And but I I don't like to say God. To me, that's a title, and it it's 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 not enduring. And, uh, and to me, it almost implies something fearful, because there's a God out there that's all powerful and all knowing, and you know, and all the implications that come from that. So it's only as we we uh, come to know our sonship or our daughtership, to our true relation, that we'll know our true relationship with our Father. Then we can enter into this consciousness of love, and this consciousness of our union with Papa as holy breath, as Papa is our holy breath, and that's important to us. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about faculties, and I'll do more of this next week too, but. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this statement, uh, that person has lost his faculties. You know, I asked Donna about this earlier and she said, what do you mean faculties? You know, but I've heard people say that they've lost their faculties. So what does that mean? Well, one's faculties refers to uh, uh, a person that uh, has lost their mental or physical faculties. You know, if somebody's lost their mental faculties, they can't think, they can't function we uh we had a relative once that uh got what's called uh, i think they call it bipolar today it was a manic depressant, and she lost a lot of her faculties and she had she couldn't discern what was right or wrong or whatever and she showed up one night at eleven o'clock at night on our front porch in her underwear and a t shirt because she didn't have that ability to realize that this isn't proper. And so they say what happens to people is they lose their social skills. And then there are people that are, have other problems in their life and they lose their social skills. So they'll say something that will hurt somebody and they don't realize that it hurt them. And so they kind of lose their fa- faculties there. And then there are physical abilities that they lose too. So if you lose your faculties, you are powerless in that area of your body or you are powerless in that area of your thinking. So the physical understanding of man's faculties are first of all faculties would be power within uh, to lead a man to excellence if you would to live an excellent life and then you have transcendence which means you can go beyond you can go beyond things you can grow and then you have intellect which is the power to reason a lot of people don't have lost that and then your will you have the power to choose good always do what's right always do what's right and then you have memory which is the power to recall events or time Uh, people that have Alzheimer's have lost that faculty right it gets worse and worse and then emotions the power that gives force to one's actions or imaginations they lose control of their emotions and they can overreact and their imagination can go really strong And then, excuse me, I didn't mean to say imaginations, this forced action. Imaginations is the power to create. And so rather than creating that which God's ideal is, they take God's ideal, which is antithesis, and they make it bad, if you would. So we want to bring forth an abundant realization of the substance and the truth of who we are. We want our spirit, our holy breath, our divine mind to control our faculties if you would throughout our entire consciousness again we want papa's thoughts to become our thoughts and we want papa's thoughts to control our if you would our faculty our transcendence to go beyond our intellect our will our memory that that power within us our imagination i desperately want father to control my imagination And I need Father to control my dreams because I have some of the wildest dreams. (laughs) I told Donna, I had a dream last night that if I could articulate it, it would take probably five or six or seven hours. And it just shows how powerful your imagination is. And it does need to come under the control of father. So spiritually there are 12 faculties of the divine mind in man. They are symbolized by the 12 disciples of Jesus. Uh, They're also seen in our local bodies, and they are symbolized by the 12 tribes of Israel and some other places, which I'll be talking about next week. But the disciples, Peter represents faith. And that in our body, that's the center of our head. That's the pineal, pineal gland that Kay talks about. So Peter represents faith, and that's the center of our head, the pineal gland. And then Andrew represents strength, and that's in the small of our back. I have a pinched nerve back there, and when it pinches, I lose my strength I literally my body just wants to drop down and then Zebedee represents judgment in the lower part of our solar plexus. John represents love that's at the back of our heart, and that's called the cardiac center. the back of our heart represents love. Philip represents power, which is the root of the tongue, the very back of the tongue. Where the tongue connects in your mouth and uh, number six and seven would be imagination that's bartholomew and nathaniel and that's between the eyes it's your imagination and the number eight is your will and that's matthew that's the center front of your brain that's your will you ever heard of people that had to have their uh frontal lobe taken out up there they kind of lose their will they lose their decision making process My sister had uh, glioblastomic cancer, and before we discovered it, it had eaten up her whole frontal lobe up here, and she couldn't make a decision. She kept telling us she was having bad headaches and she was gonna go to a doctor, but she never made the decision to go. And I kept saying, Cheryl, when are you gonna go? And she'd say, I don't know, because she couldn't make a decision, and we didn't know that. If I did, hopefully, I wish we could have found out earlier. But that happens, and that's right there in the front of your brain. Then order, like order, your order of life is James, and that's in your navel area. And then zeal, you know, like the zeal of the Lord, uh, is Simeon, the Canaanite, and that's in the lower back part of your head, and it's pronounced the medulla, M-E-D-U-L-L-A. And then elimination, or denial, is the lower part of the back. You know, elimination or denial, we could talk about how that would be, Uh, releasing things that are not proper, that are not edifying. They're releasing false ideals, false thoughts, and deny those things to be part of your life. And then appropriation, our life conservation, is Judas. And it's a generative function that takes place. And so the 12 disciples are the symbol, if you would, of the 12 highest qualities are the virtues of the soul, of who we are. They form a group of thoughts nearest to the center of the divine mind or the God mind. And those thoughts, in in other words, those thoughts need to be under the control of the divine mind, if you would. So the apostles are specialized, they have specialized conditions and their qualities that leads one to their higher self, which is the mind of God, the body of God, sons of God or a daughter of God, which is our spirit, which is our holy breath. So they lead us to living out of our spirit. They were raised, if you would, to a a state of close uh, companionship with one another, and uh, the disciples, and uh, with Jesus, their master, comforter, teacher. In other words, it was a pulling. It's pulling together the oneness and experience. So the names of these faculties are not random. They're not just something that's randomly put there. Uh, for example, I looked up Philip and I'll be sharing more of what the disciples, what these mean. But Philip, uh, the root of the tongue, governs taste, if you would, but it also controls action of the larynx and the all-powerful vibrations that come from speaking the living word. There's a vibration, there's energy that comes from speaking the divine word. Philip was a powerful preacher. Not many people talk a lot about Philip, except for that he baptized that eunuch and then he translated after that. And I've talked about that before, but he mastered the ability to transport after he taught, after he he taught eunuch, I mean this eunuch and he was very powerful. Uh, What I found is that Philip was held in great reverence because the wonders that he produced, he produced all kinds of miraculous uh, experiences in his ministry. And Simeon himself regarded Philip as a, as in league with some kind of superhuman being well, he didn't realize that he was superhuman. He was not just human anymore. He was the he was a supernatural spirit, as the Bible calls us that. And so he knew that. He tapped into that. And because he functioned out of a supernaturalness of being the son of God, he did mighty works. And he did what he was called to do. So what we want is for our consciousness to be centered in our divine mind to where... Our will is conformed to the eternal ideal of God. We all have wills in our life. We all have things we want. I want a house. I want a new car. I want a career. I want a good husband. I want children. I want, you know, it's always I want, I want, I want. But what we want to do, what we should want to do, is conform to the ideal of God for our life. And it's greater than anything that we could want on our own out of our own, if you would, outer consciousness rather than our conscious awareness. That's that's affected by our Father. And so what happens then and only then will our faith be strengthened. Our faith will be full of wisdom. Our faith will be full of righteous judgment. we We will function in love. We will function with power as Philip did. Our imagination and our understanding will conform to the ideal of God. Our will will conform to the ideal of God, and our order, our law, our zeal, and the, the life will function wholly, perfectly, and completely. And that's what we want. We have it, and we are experiencing it in many ways, but we want all of it. Because when we walk like Philip did, we walk like Jesus did, we walk like Paul did, we, we tread about our life in total contact with our Father, we can be a great help to this earth. So our spiritual faculties are developed by the direct power of receiving with meekness the engrafted living word of God which is able to rescue your souls from all hindrances. And of course the Bible says save your soul. But the word save means rescue and we are we are we're finding information here and we're in our studies in our word of God that's going to help rescue us from what's hindering us to where we function f- fully as a son of God or a daughter of God in this earth. So Jesus was consecrated in his 30 years of training. And we've got to realize that Jesus was trained. Jesus just didn't come in this earth knowing everything. Jesus had the mind of God just like we did, but he was trained also. He listened to his father. He listened to the scenes out in the wilderness. His mother prepared him. And to the point that he he came to reveal this transforming power of the living word to us. He came to stop that which was hindering to do away with the Mosaic law. And he came to stop the mistaken identity, teach us who we were, uh, really were, and then reveal that there is a transforming power within us that can bring us back up to God's perfect ideal. So in closing, when our divine mind is looked to as our one and only source, Our one and only guide, the faculties of man come in divine alignment with the power of the living word. And the living word brings nothing but life. Then, as the Apostle Paul Paul wrote in the epistles to the believers at Rome, we will experience, this is what he said, For the Mosaic law and all it required and produced no longer exercises lordship over you. You are no longer in an inferior position with the endless sin consciousness it produced. No, much more. Now you are aware of the eternal law of the spirit of life in you, which you possess and experience. You live as the image and plural of our source Papa with full joy and liberty, and you are prosperous in all knowledge and all understanding. And this is speaking of your spiritual faculties. So, What we will see next week is I'm going to do some more study and I'm going to show you what each one of the apostles uh, symbolize and their spiritual qualities that their name represents, which practice and it causes us to practice and it caused them to practice later on their higher, highest virtues that father brought them to that makes man free uh, from the cause of religious and habitual bondages. And that's what we need. We need to be free from all that. So we will see these also in the 12 tribes of Israel. I don't know if I'll do both next week, but for sure we're going to go through the rest of the disciples and explain these to you. So I hope you enjoyed these. I know it was a little short today, but sometimes it's nice not to get too long. I did almost an hour and a half last week, so that'll make up for that. Thank you, Frank. But uh, we thank you for being here with us. We love you and just uh, believe you're going to have a wonderful day today and be able to go forth and take what you've learned and not only help you, but help people in your world. So bless you very much. Thank you. Hi, Rita.